worked for him uh, there. And one of them that worked for him that was a servant of his was named Onesimus. Now, that's hard to say. And in the early service this morning without near enough coffee, I struggled with that. So uh, I, I, maybe I've got it by now. But uh, apparently what had happened, though, was Onesimus, as he was working for Philemon, had stolen from him and taken from him. And we really don't know what it was. We just know that he had stolen some stuff from his house. And he had run away from Coloss to Rome. All right? And in a crazy turn of events, Onesimus, when he goes to Rome, running away from Philemon, he runs into Paul in Rome, the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and actually, Paul at the time is being held in like a minimum security jail-type situation. And for whatever reason, the two of them meet in Rome. And Paul leads him to Christ. And Onesimus gets saved and becomes a Christian, a follower of Christ, uh, through Paul's ministry there. And Paul finds out, in, while all this is transpiring, that he actually was a runaway servant from his good friend Philemon, who lived back in Colossus. And so Paul, after he leads him to Christ, he convinces Onesimus that he needs to go back. He needs to go back to Philemon and make things right, and it's the right thing to do. And so, in doing that, Onesimus agrees to go back. And in doing that, Paul gives him a letter to carry back with him to Coloss, which is actually the letter that he wrote to the church that we have in the New Testament that we call Colossians. That's right? the book of Colossians. This was the letter that Onesimus delivered, brought back with him when he's going back to Philemon to face up to the wrong that he had done there. And so he's carrying this letter that we know is the book of Colossians uh, to the church there. But along with that letter to the church, it's kind of a postscript of that letter, a private letter that Paul had written to Philemon to explain what had happened and why Onesimus was coming back and all these things. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So now you kind of know the context and the history of what's going on here, which, will, which makes this a, a much more interesting story, an amazing story. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. I want to share with you out of the New Living Translation uh, of the Bible today because I just love the wording a little better. I think it gives us a little better understanding of the character of what's going on here. Paul writes this to Philemon in this private letter to him, starting in verse 6. He says, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. He doesn't even have to say here that he's boldly asking. As you read through this, you're going you're gonna to see this. But I think it's funny. He says, I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it, by the way, in the name of Christ, because it's the right thing for you to do. And I'm an apostle, by the way. And so I could make this a demand, but I'm just going to boldly ask you for this favor. But because of your love, I prefer simply to ask you, Consider this as a request from me, Paul, just an old man, now an old man that's a prisoner, you know, for the sake of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. So Paul's saying here, and we're going to talk about this a little more here in just a few minutes, but, you know, I know it's past. I know your uh, experience that you've had with him and the whole story, 
And I know that he hasn't been very useful to you, but I'm sending him back to you. And he's no longer useless, but he is very useful, you know. Now he has a usefulness in helping us to build the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 13. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were being forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother. Verse 17, So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And oh, by the way, I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed, I, I just love Paul. Uh, he, he is so good. He, he's pretty good here at playing the guilt trip card. I mean, have you noticed? Uh, I had a boss tell me one time. He said, here's what makes a great leader. You can convince someone to do something that they don't want to do and make them like it. And, and I read this letter here from Paul, and I'm like, man, if that were the case, Paul would be like the CEO of a Fortune 500 company today. I mean, because he is a master at this as you read uh, his letters. But Paul's basically saying, you know this, you know, so Philemon, you know, while you're lounging around in your luxurious life and your luxurious home with all those servants... I'm just an old man, you know, here in prison for just preaching and not making anything. And, you know, I've got this, got this life and you've got your life. And get this, while I'm there, I run into Onesimus. And I'm able to lead him to Christ and, and he got saved. And, man, I could really use his help right now. I could use it worse than you need it, you know. But if you want him back, you know, I, I guess you can have him back. And oh, by the way, I love this. Did I mention to you that I led you to Jesus and without me you would die and go to hell? I mean, that ba basically this is what Paul's saying here, you know. Uh, but, it, you know, if you can find it in your heart, when I get out of prison, I'm going to come back and personally pay his debt if I need to. But it's all up to you, right? And then Paul concludes. I, I love this. Skip down to verse 22. This just tops it off. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In other words, when I get out of here, I'm going to, be, I'm going to come see you and I want to stay at your house, which would make this really, really awkward if you don't do this, right? I mean, it's going to be awkward for everybody. And oh, by the way, this letter is also going to be printed in the Bible. So you don't want to be that guy, you know? I love this. It's hilarious. To top it all off, though, who's delivering the letter? Anesimus, right? I mean, he's delivering this, this letter, and he's handing it to Philemon. And don't you know he's just standing there grinning while Philemon's reading it? And Philemon's going, oh, my word, I can't believe that he's asking me to do this. And you know, Anesimus is standing there and saying, what do you think, Uncle Phil? You know? Uh, but before we get to the point and the truth that leads to godliness that we're going to be talking about this morning, I, th I think it's important first to point out something here that I, gets, I think gets confused and misconstrued uh, in this story and in this letter. And it's this. This is not a letter to prove that the Bible condones slavery. All right? Because the Bible does not condone slavery. And unfortunately, uh, through history, some Christians have interpreted it this way. That this would make it okay. Uh, but here's the deal. The, the servant or bond servant that's being referred to here is nothing like what we think about uh, when we think of slave, 
uh, actually the interpretation that's made from the original language into English often might be translated slave, uh, but it's more of a servant or bond servant uh, type position. Being a, being a slave is when you actually take someone captive uh, and, and force them into slavery. All right? And, and that is condemned in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 21, 16 even says that anyone who kidnaps another person and sells him in that way must be put to death. And in Paul's first letter to Timothy in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy in verses 8 through 10, Paul put slave traders in the same category as someone who would kill their parents. All right? He, he put slave traders in the same category as adulterers and perverts and, and perjurers. And so obviously, that's not the kind of servant that Onesimus was. That would have been more like... Uh, an indentured servant. It was actually part of the economic system in Rome. It's actually how things kind of work, uh, and it worked like this. If someone was extremely poor, or if someone had accumulated uh, a lot of debt uh, that they couldn't repay or they couldn't afford to repay, the only thing left for them to do was to sell their labor, to negotiate a price for their work. Uh, and so it was very common in an agreement for paying off their debts. They would also be taken care of while this was happening. And so they would, you know, sell themselves, sell their, their labor, sell their work to a wealthy person like Philemon uh, here in the story. Now, that's not to say that this was a good system or it's even part of God's plan. Uh, but because... Uh, you know, it, it is what it was at the time, but that's not God's plan for our lives as human beings because God, think about it, He gave us dominion over what? He gave us dominion over the earth. His plan wasn't that we would have dominion over other human beings or over other people. That was not His plan for us. And, and as a matter of fact, the entire New Testament can basically be summed up by this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? You know, the theme of the New Testament is love God and love your neighbors as yourself. It calls us to treat one another as equals and to treat one another as brothers and sisters. And it tells us that in Christ there is no slave, there is no free, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And so in Christ, think about it. It makes masters and servants brothers and sisters. Right? That's God's plan for us, is that we would be brothers and sisters, not masters and servants. And, and this view of humanity would eventually, you know, God's plan eventually is what would undo slavery as we know it in our nation today. And that's just a little side note to this letter. Uh, but I want to get back to the letter itself because I believe the question here is this. What did Philemon do with this letter when he got it? Right? I mean, we can imagine the events that take place and the exchanging of the letter and all that and had a little fun with that. But what did Philemon do with the letter? Well, you know, we actually don't know. It, it never tells us. But think about this. How did the letter get in the Bible? If this was a private letter that was delivered to Philemon from Paul, how did this letter make its way into the Bible, and why did it make its way into the Holy Scriptures? Right? And, and, and you know, there would have only been one copy. Uh, Onesimus, I'm pretty sure, didn't have one of these and snapped a picture of it, uh, you know, on the way, so he would have a copy. They didn't have copy machines back there. And so for this letter to get put into circulation, Philemon would have had to put it out there, right? I mean, he was the only one that had the letter, so it would have been him that put it in circulation. And I doubt very seriously that he would have put this out. He probably shared it with the church is where, how it originally came to be. And I doubt very seriously that he would have shared it with the church or put this out there and said, hey, this is a letter that Paul wrote to me, but I didn't take his advice. <laughs> right? I didn't, get, I didn't do the favor that he asked me to do. And so evidently he did exactly what Paul 
had asked him to do in this letter. And he forgave Onesimus of his debts, and he released him, even though there was a cost to him to do that. And Paul knew that. And, and so then he, he released this letter, he shared this letter, you know, and allowed it to be circulated as this example of what we've been talking about this last few weeks. This truth that leads to godliness. And someone who has accepted Christ, someone who has given their life to Christ, God is continually shaping them and making them into His image, which, oh, by the way, looks like Jesus, which, oh, by the way, was so quick to extend us mercy and grace and forgiveness and he was generous with it. Last week we saw that he lavishly extended those things to us. Right? And so it's this transformation again that we've been talking about the last three weeks. And Philemon is sharing this letter. And probably in a way to go, hey, you guys knew me before. I would have never allowed this to happen. Anesimus would have showed up to my house with a letter like this before I came to Christ. Or, or you know, a few years ago. That dude would be dead. Or in prison, one of the two, right? That would have been the response, and that would have been legal, and it would have been perfectly okay. But now we see that Philemon has been transformed into this person who is looking more and more like Jesus every day, and he extends grace and forgiveness and is generous in doing so. But this is, you know, where it gets even more interesting, and don't miss this. Scholars tell us that a couple of decades after this event takes place, there was a reference to an elderly bishop in the church at Ephesus named Onesimus. And they said that would have been a very rare name. It wouldn't have been a name that uh, you know normal leaders would have had uh, back at that time. And most scholars agree that based on the timing and the context of the events that took place, they believe this to be the Onesimus of Philemon that is now an elder in one of the largest churches in the region serving other people and ministering to them. And so what we see in the book of Philemon is a beautiful picture of the gospel and the mission of the church. You know, what the church looks like. Think about it. Philemon is what? Well, he's a wealthy businessman. Uh, whose life has been transformed uh, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's turned into this beautiful picture of what a follower of Jesus looks like, this picture of generosity, you know, and, and grace. Uh, Onesimus, well, you know, he's a thief, right? I mean, he's got a past. But when he comes to know Christ, what takes place in his life? Transformation. This change again that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Onesimus went from being a thief to being, you know, the leader of one of the most important churches in the ancient world. Folks, only God. Huh? Only God. And, and so here's the truth that, that leads to godliness that we see in, in our story today and in the church today. And it's this, the truth that leads to godliness. This gospel that leads to being God-like and God-loving. Right? It will radically transform the Philemons into generous participants into building the kingdom of God. Because here's the deal. There's a lot of Philemons that are associated with the church today. A lot of them. Especially here in the United States of America. One of the most wealthy countries in the entire world. And so there's a lot of Philemons that are associated with the body of Christ today. And the church as we know it. And the truth is this. God wants to use the Philemons. God wants to use them and their blessings in his mission to do what? Build the kingdom of God. To bring other people into the church. To bring other people into the body of Christ. To be generous, not just in their giving, but also of their time, their talents, their resources, and their serving. Because Philemon's that are, 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 have a lot of blessings, right? These people who are very successful... 
Well, Paul knows this, and we learn this from other places in the Scripture as well, but we just know it from personal experience. It seems people who are the most successful seem to be focused most on building their kingdom instead of building God's kingdom, right? And considering most of us here fall under the classification of Philemon this morning, that may have offended someone here today, but it's true. When you become very successful or very wealthy or very powerful, your focus tends to shift from it being about building God's kingdom to building your own kingdom. And that's just the truth of the matter. That's just a fact. And it's not that these people are evil or that they're bad people or they're not good people. It's just that success in life can sometimes derail us. Success in life can sometimes get our focus off the things that we're supposed to be focused on. And so, but the truth that leads to godliness, this gospel at work in and through our lives that's transforming, transforming us and changing us in our life will change us to where we don't really care that our life is characterized by success. See, we, don't, we, we won't really want to be characterized as successful people, but it will transform you and bring you to a place in your life that you will want to be characterized by your grace. Wouldn't it be awesome to not be characterized by our success, but to be characterized by how much we extend grace to others, and how much we extend mercy to others, and how much we forgive other people? Wouldn't you rather that you be known by that than your success? If not, take a step back and examine where you are in your relationship with God. Because that's the goal. That's the place that he's trying to push us to. This truth that leads to godliness means that we're going to be more and more like him. And he extended grace and mercy and forgiveness and was so generous in doing that. And so this transformation, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, that'll, that'll be your character. That'll be who you are. And you'll want to leverage your life for God instead of your own. And, and we've been talking about this for the last few weeks and but, you know, this is God's plan for your life, is to shape you and make you and mold you into His image and not the image of the world. Uh, it's in His image. And, and you know, that's, it, that's not about meeting some minimum requirement to get His approval. You know, okay, I, I paid my tithe this month, so check, I'm good, right? It, it's not just that. You know, it's this understanding that everything that we have, Everything that you have, the only reason you have it is because God allowed you to have it. And oh, by the way, he's entrusted you with that to do something with it. Not to build your kingdom, it's to build his kingdom. He's entrusted you with everything that you have, right? And he wants us to be faithful with it to build his kingdom. And, and don't get me wrong this morning, uh, you know... Some of you want to just make this about money. I'm not just talking about being generous with money. This applies to every area of your life. Your time and your talents as well. Because, because here's the deal. God did not save you to sideline you. All right, there would be some people that would think in our world today that the main thing that needs to happen in my life and in my relationship with God is this. Is that I get saved. And that's good enough. And that's all that really matters. You have so missed the boat. It's not just about a single work of grace. It's about a continual work of grace. It's this sanctification that, that the Bible teaches that is instantaneous and in a process. I mean, it just is because it's this changing that he's doing in and through our lives and so God did not save you just so that you could say I'm good I'm gonna make it you know I did what had to be done and so I'm saved and now I can do whatever I want to for the rest of my life because I'm good listen God has a prime spot for you on the front lines that's his plan for your life not that you would be saved and good but so that you would be saved and served And again, this, this is, you know, we talk about it so much, but it's all about taking these next steps. This whole journey is about a next step, and it often starts with very small steps. 
And maybe the first step for you is giving financially for the very first time toward building the kingdom. Maybe that's it for you. You know, maybe it's reaching out to someone and inviting them to church. You know, I, I, I see today, and, and I, I don't want, I'm not talking bad about churches, but I see this a lot today. A lot of churches are, are, are running these programs and these special Sundays to where this Sunday, out of this year, we're going to challenge every single person to invite one person to come to church. Do we really need a program to promote that in the church? Once we understand what we have been saved from and the grace that we live under and the goodness of God that we've been blessed with, do we have to have a program that says you probably ought to invite somebody so that they might could experience this too? Heaven, help us if that is the case. Because I'm going to tell you something. When people are excited about something, they're going to invite people. When people understand what God has done for them and what they have been saved from, they're going to be excited about that. I'm going to tell you something. When folks are excited, they invite other people. When folks are excited, it draws a crowd. Why do you think we have football stadiums that seat 100,000 people now? Because people are excited about things. I'm not talking about here in Arkansas. We have nothing to be excited about. No, I didn't watch the game last night. Yes, I'm thankful for it. But when people are excited, it's just a natural draw of people. We don't need a program to teach you to invite somebody. That's just a natural response to the grace of God in your life. And if you haven't invited anybody to church this year, step back and focus on where you're at. I, a great example, this morning in, in uh, early church, I was talking about uh, the Iberg's small group, Circle I small group. The cra- and it's the craziest thing. I was telling somebody about it the other day, and I said, if somebody would have come and told me, this is what we want to do, this is this small group we're going to start, I'd have said, bad idea. Bad idea, this will not work. All right, because we've got a guy in our church, probably the biggest nerd in our church, the biggest geek, uh, my son, the keyboard player. He's proud of it. I mean, he's, he's okay with it. It's not embarrassing. He is a nerd. The biggest nerd in our congregation said, you know, I'd kind of like to start a small group for young, young married couples. Okay, and so they began talking to some others. Well, it just so happened, Craig and Gayla Iberg, had been, God had been kind of speaking to their heart about they had a big enough place that they needed to host a small group. Well, Hayden and Elena have a little bitty house. And so Craig and Gayla said, I'll tell you what, host your small group at our house. All right, I don't know if you know Craig and Gayla Iberg, but probably the most cowboy of people you will ever meet in your life. You got a nerd here wanting to start a small group and some cowboys that are saying, you can host it at our house, but oh, by the way, people are going to have to sit on saddles while you do it. But hey, And I'd have said, bad idea. Bad idea. They had 45 in their small group. I'm like, y'all just started a new church. You know, we're going to have to build them an arena now and get Hayden a new computer. I don't even know how all that's going to work. But you know why it's grown to 45 in a month's time or however long it's been? Because people are excited about it. They're just excited about it, and they're just inviting other people. And a lot of people that don't even go to our church are going to that small group. We will invite people to know Jesus when we know what Jesus has done for us. So maybe that's your next step. Invite somebody to church. Maybe it's volunteering. Their sign-up sheets, the, the Welcome Center out there is covered in sign-up sheets. I, I actually have people ask me sometimes, they'll say, you know, well, I'd really like to volunteer, but I just don't know any areas where you are needing volunteers. Are you drunk? I mean, <laughs> seriously? We stand up here every single Sunday, and we offer you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to serve, bless, be a blessing. I mean, that's who we are. That's our DNA. So look at your bulletin, you know. Stop at the Welcome Center. Maybe you just need to volunteer. Because, again, you've not been saved to be sidelined. You were saved to serve. 
be a part of the kingdom, to build the kingdom. Maybe for you it's starting a new small group. I don't know. I thought I had it all figured out at one time. I don't have a clue. So maybe God would have you start a small group for people who play solitaire. I don't, I don't know. Start it. If you're excited about solitaire, find some other people that are interested in it and start a small group. And if we can help you with that, let any one of our staff to know. We want to we help you. We want to partner with you. We want you to be active in what God has called you to be and do. And if it feels like you're banging your head up against the wall and it's just not working, maybe that's not it. Look a different direction. Try something different. Because I promise you, God has a place for you and a purpose for you that he, you're going to see fruit come out of. But can I just tell you, and I am so far away from my notes right now. We may be here an hour longer. But I was sharing with someone the other day. They, they were just frustrated because, you know, no fruit. And I said, listen, I read something this week that was such an encouragement to me. You don't get to eat the fruit the day you plant the seed. I would encourage you this morning the same way that Paul encouraged, encouraged Philemon here in, in verse 6. I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Generosity that comes from your faith. You know, translation. What kind of generosity does your faith demand of you? Well, it's, it's been our focus these, these last few weeks as we've gone through the letter to Titus, but think about how much of your life is owed to the grace that you're living under. Think of how much of your life is owed to the grace that you have received and, and have accepted. And you know, a lot of people today, you may be here today and you may think that you're a self-made man or you're a self-made woman, but where would you be without Jesus Christ? Dead and lost. How much of our success as Americans today do we owe to the grace of God and the blessing that He's given us today to be Americans? I mean, think about the things that you absolutely have no control over. You have no control over what talents that you were born with, right? Those were God-given. You didn't control. You didn't get to pick and choose. Oh, before I'm born, here's a checklist, and I want to be awesome at this, this, and this. No, God just made you awesome at this, this, and this. You had no control over that, right? You had no control over your good health. There's a lot of folks today that aren't blessed with good health. Most of you appear to be, right? Blessed with good health. You had no control over that, right? You had no control over what country you were born in. What a blessing that we would be born in the great United States of America. What a blessing, you know? All of these things were gifted to you. All these things were gifted to me. They were these gifts that we have received. And, and, you know, and, and that's not to even mention the price that Jesus paid to free you from your sins. And friends, when we've been entrusted with so much and blessed with so much, it demands a response. It demands a response. We're not self-made. We are blood-bought. Y'all are, are not even excited about that. I see the problem. The problem is us. We're not self-made. We didn't build this church. We didn't build the church. We are blood-bought. And he's done it all for us and entrusted it to us. And that makes us grace-filled and that demands a response from us. But not only does the truth that leads to godliness radically change and transform the Philemon's, of our world and of our church today, but it also will radically transform the Onesimuses. Is that plural? 
Should have ran this past my wife before I tackled that. Go to that next slide there, Robert. Radically transforms the anisimuses, don't miss this, into world leaders and world changers. Huh? I mean, don't miss this. Slavery is a picture of sin, right? You know, many in our community, many in our country, some in your families are enslaved to many things that are sinful. They're enslaved to their sinful passions. They're enslaved to what we know as idolatry. They wouldn't call it idolatry, but we learn that idolatry is simply anything in this life that we put above God that we're trying to find happiness or peace from. And so many people are enslaved to those things that can never bring them what they're looking for. Many are enslaved to selfishness, to lust. Many are enslaved today to things like alcohol and drugs. And you know what? All these things don't miss. Sin destroys our usefulness. Huh? Remember what Paul said about Onesimus? He once was useless, but now he's useful. Because sin destroys our usefulness to God. God created us to be useful, but sin makes us useless. And not only will you be useful, but you will be useful in ways that you never dreamed or imagined. I'm going to just tell you, God will blow your mind when he starts to use you. He will amaze you at the places that he takes you and the things that he does in and through your life. Paul said to Philemon, Anesimus is not just useful for his labor to wait your tables and sweep your floors, but God has a plan to use him for his kingdom. Philemon, you were a part of that. Philemon, this would have never happened or transpired had it not been for you. And extending a thief grace and forgiveness and being a generous man. And folks, we've seen God do this in the lives of people before. We've seen God save people and change and transform them. And you go, wow, only God, only God could have done that, right? And so we've seen it. He takes people who were at one time useless and he makes them useful to be used to build his kingdom and serve others. And, and here's what's so exciting about that. Think about it. He can take a prisoner because he has. He could take a high school dropout because he has. He could take a rebellious teenager. He, he can take the worst of the worst and make them great. Make them into a great Christian leader, a great Christian servant. And, and the truth is today, we're all Onesimus. We're all Philemon. We were all enslaved to sin. We were all being held in slavery to these things that made us useless. We've all done wrong. And we, of all people, now that we have been extended, the goodness that we've been extended, we of all people should be the ones to be the most generous. To be the most generous at extending grace and extending forgiveness to others because of what has been extended to us. So I want to close out this series today with this. Just think about for a minute how crazy this situation was. I mean, Onesimus was a runaway servant. He runs into Paul, who, oh, by the way, had led his former boss to Jesus. He just so happens to bump into him in Rome. 
And I've never been there, but I've heard Rome is a really big place. And it was at the time. Do you actually think that God didn't arrange all that? I mean, his hand had to be in it, right? It's like he was moving these pieces so that all might come together to create this beautiful picture of the grace of God and the goodness of God. And as I I, I look at this and see what God was doing in their story, I can't help but think of what he's doing in your story. Because he's moving things and shifting things, and some of you have experienced this, and you wondered why. Why did that happen? Why that job change? Why did I move? Why that, you know, why did why did this occur? Because God is always at work, even when we don't know that He's at work, to put people in the right place at the right time so that someone would be available and be obedient. So that we would see Onesimus get saved. We would see Philemon's step up and be generous, be builders of the kingdom. And you know, I, I can't help but think today that there's some folks here that God's been stirring and God's been doing some things and it kind of feels like He's pursuing you for a reason, for something. Maybe that's why you're here today is because God wants you to know it's time and that He has so much more for you than you know you could ever imagine or realize because here's the deal. He wants to transform your life and to make you into something useful for building the kingdom of God. He wants you to be a blessing to other people. Doesn't that kind of sound exciting? To think that God would want to use us? Because I'm looking at some of y'all and I'm like, I wouldn't have picked y'all. <laughs> huh? I wouldn't have picked me. You know how when you're playing when you're kids and you're picking for teams I was the last one picked in you know I just kind of like God was like I was the last one that said yes you know he finally got to me and said well I'm left with you would you well, yeah can't play with anybody else nobody wants to cross eyed Borg on their team but isn't it kind of exciting to think that God is moving things and shifting things and working things and he may have been for a long long time so that he could get you here this morning and bring you to a point where you could be useful in his kingdom to make you a blessing to others. That's just exciting that he would want to use us. And so this morning, I believe there's someone here this morning that just needs to surrender to his plan and put their plan aside and surrender to his plan for their life. And some and for some of you, you know, that simply means just taking that first step and accepting Jesus and surrendering your life to him. Because you'll never be useful to him until you're his child. So maybe you're here this morning and that's the step you need to take is just surrender your life to him, accept him as Lord and Savior, receive this full gift of salvation and let the transformation begin just means when you do that that you come to the realization you can't save yourself and you need Jesus to save you and so you surrender your life to him and I promise you he'll blow your mind with the future that he has for you so if you're here this morning and you've never done that I would encourage you to do that today surrender your life to Christ make a decision to follow him and become useful in the master's hands this morning there's a lot of folks that are here today that are already believers you've already accepted that gift you've received him as Lord and Savior of your life and folks again as we wrap up this series and we've talked about it every week once we fully understand and experience this grace that we live under every single day and the goodness of God that's been extended to us and the great things that we have in Christ Jesus folks I tell you it'll change us 
It'll change our priorities. And, and it will change our investments into investing into the things of God and investing into the kingdom of God. And friends, this truth, this truth is the gospel. This truth is the good news of Jesus Christ and his love for us. And it's this love and this grace and this forgiveness. That's what leads to godliness. That's what leads to this change that takes place in our lives that allows us to be used by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The truth that leads to godliness is the only thing that leads to godliness. So today as we close this out and we close out our time in prayer, maybe God's speaking to you about something. Maybe it's, you know, taking that first step of surrendering your life and becoming a child of God. Maybe maybe there's something that he's speaking to you about. Maybe there's an Onesimus in your life that you need to forgive or go to. I, I don't know what it is for you today, but I, I know that God is always actively at work through his word. And so I would just ask you this morning, whatever it is that he's speaking to you, be available, number one, but number two, be obedient to that. We're going to close with the time of prayer. And if you would like to come and, and pray this morning, I invite you to come. If there's a situation that uh, you're praying about or you just need to bring to God and you want to come pray about that, no better time than just come to this altar and lay it at his feet and leave it there this morning. I invite you to come as we close together. If someone would like to come pray over this prayer chest today. We're constantly praying for names that are in that prayer chest that they would surrender their life to Christ and come to know Him. I saw a sweet friend put another name in there this morning. And so uh, there's a lot of people that need to know Jesus. There's a lot of Onesimuses out there that I believe God wants to use us to minister to and to show them the grace of God. So if you'd like to come this morning and pray before we close, I invite you to come. God, you're so good to us, and uh, you're, just, you're so good to always remind us of how much you love us. And I love the, the fact that over the last few weeks, you've brought us as a church to a place of uh, just kind of reflection, maybe even personal inventory to be reminded and to remember exactly what you've done for us, what it meant to become a child of God, and that that's something that we don't take lightly. There was a great cost so that we might be called children of God, a great sacrifice that was made. And God, we look back at what you saved us from and what you saved us to, and it truly is amazing. And it's overwhelming to think about. But the same Jesus that saved us from our sins wants to change us and transform our lives so that we would look like you look to us, to others around us. This is a great reminder today of so many areas. We, we're all, we're either Philemon's or Anisimus in this story. God, I'm thankful for both. It's a reminder that we're never so lost that we can't be found. You're continually pursuing us because it's your desire that we all be in a relationship with you. God, once we've made that decision, thank you again for reminding us. It doesn't end there. That's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning of a journey. Journey that will not complete until we see you one day, and then we will be perfected and made perfectly in your image. But God, until then, it's a work in progress. It's a journey filled with hills and valleys and curves. But God wouldn't rather be on the journey with anyone else, to be on this journey with you, to be on this journey with these people 
that do look like you and live like you. So God, today I pray if there be anyone here that's never surrendered their life to you and accepted this gift of salvation that we talk about every single week, that today would be a day they would make that commitment. They would surrender their life, surrender their plan to your plan and your will for their lives. God, I pray that you give them courage and boldness to do that today. Not only to do that, but also to let people know. To let people know that they've accepted you and that they're a child of God and they're going to need a little help getting started and beginning this journey and so we can come alongside them and encourage them and help guide them. God, I pray for the Philemons that are here today that are blessed and highly favored. And I pray that we'd be generous with those blessings, those talents, and all that you've given us, that you've entrusted to us to build the kingdom of God. I pray that we would use what we have for your glory and not our own. To build your kingdom and not our kingdom. To build your church and not our church. Forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we uh, don't get it right. But thank you for always bringing us back and helping us to get our focus on who it needs to be on and what it needs to be on. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins and our failures so that we can be useful to you. I pray for these that have come in here today carrying a great burden. I pray that you would be with them and help them be their hope and be their help. Whatever the situation may be, I pray that they would see you in it and see you at work in it. I pray for the names in this prayer chest today, and it's full of names. I know that some of those people have actually accepted you, and we celebrate that, praise you, and thank you for that. God, there's a lot of people in there that we dearly love, many family members and friends. God, I pray that you would do what you do. You would move the pieces. You would arrange the situation, arrange the people to where it would fall exactly the way it needs to fall so that they would understand and know once again that they need to be in a relationship with you. And that that requires us being available. And that requires us being obedient that we would say yes. But God, do what only you can do. But I pray that you'll find an available church to do what you've called us to do. Today again, we love you. I love these people. I love this church. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of what you're doing here. To be able to be a part of this family of God that is truly family. And they get it. And I love that they get it because I see it day in and day out. And how they serve and how they minister. God, I thank you for the blessing of bringing us together. But go with us now as we go from this place. That we'd be the church out there. That people would see you and come to know you. And it's in your powerful name that we ask these things. Amen. I love you guys. I hope